Welcome to the We Hack Purple podcast, where we meet application security professionals, and I get to ask them all the nerdy questions I've always dreamed of. <laughs> so I invite people on where either I follow them or I, I know them really personally, or in this case, I work with them directly. So the sponsor this week, as you might have guessed, is Bright Security. I am still Tanya Janka, just like I was in the previous episodes, but today I have Vitaly Yunik. And he is someone from Bright Security who I really like. And so I thought maybe if I asked, you would say yes. So hi, Vitaly. Welcome. Hello. All right. Hello. How are you? Um, so Good. It, can you? It, it, it's can you nice being audience. here. <laughs> can, you, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah. I'll, all right. I'll start with, um, with uh, being a dinosaur in InfoSec. In infosec. Before it was called cyber, so uh, I've been in infosec and cyber for the past fifteen years, and currently in my position, I'm leading the appsec research team, and we're we're kind of doing the cool things within the product. And I'll kind of, if you if you want, I'll explain more about that. But on top of that, uh, I'm just having fun with appsec. Uh, I've established appsec practices in, in previous companies. Um, seeing things that work, seeing things that don't work, like things fall apart from different assumptions, uh, doing architecture and doing like craziest things with, with security because it's fun. Like we're, we're paranoid for money. That's, that's what people pay us for. <laughs> <laughs> we're paranoid for money. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, what do you do for a living? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of the job descriptions that you get. What do you need to get into uh, into AppSec, into security, right? That's like, are you paranoid? Mm. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, but but so far, uh, I've uh, rebuilt the, the AppSec research team, and we've been doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, within Bright, including like doing attack vectors and doing like more interesting stuff with the product and the way they behave and the way they will behave in the future and stuff in things and ways that I cannot explain here because, yeah. well, <laughs> I'll have to sign uh, people who have to sign a lot of NDA. But that's that's part of the job, right? That's part of being... Um, and being the the geek that I am, I like playing with things like music. I don't know uh, technology, whatever. Like if if it clicks and it makes sounds and it it does something cool, it else probably will find its place on my desk eventually. Right, that's the awesome. way it is. I remember we had a big meeting with many of us from Bright, and there were so many musicians. Like a very right. big percentage of musicians. I was like, we're going to have a band one day. <laughs> it will be one of those 50s big bands, right? It'll be, <laughs> It'll be like 30 uh, guitarists. An ensemble. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Everybody will be fighting for lead guitar and lead bass. I found actually four bassists and, 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 and bright. That's, that's something that doesn't happen. Like the bassists usually hide knowing myself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah um so so what i like about this this whole concept is like 
being able to to talk about um, what AppSec is like, what what it's been like, right? So that's actually what I wanted to ask you about, like AppSec in general. But you and I were talking before we started recording about what works and like what really doesn't work. Do you want to kind of let our audience in on some of that? Yeah. So so. Usually people expect AppSec to ramp up from, from zero to 100 or to 200 and, and, and it's an organization that, first of all, there aren't many AppSec people. It's like, it, there is the, the amount of experts in the AppSec field that you can actually find within software companies is, is so small. There, there aren't many of us, and it's actually even harder to recruit someone. And when you get to the low, like 110, 100, right, that everybody says you have to have one InfoSec or AppSec person for each 10 DevOps, 100 developers, mm-hmm. and it falls apart in, in, in the mirror of reality where you'd, you don't have that many AppSec people that are skilled enough and are experienced enough and have seen enough uh, software organizations right mm-hmm. and you cannot recruit them because there aren't any for each position that you have it's good for us being on on, on the <laughs> demand side right but being uh, establishing a, uh, a process is is challenging it you get to to a place where there's a lot of developers usually mm-hmm. you get to an organization that has Software that's been built before you and will be built a lot after you. So you have to start with understanding what it is that they have. So the baseline for being someone in, in that field is is being able to question everything, including yourself a lot of times. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that because sometimes I've made assumptions and later been like, oh, no. Um, because it was just such a bizarre attack that happened, or it was just such a bizarre thing that a developer did. And I'm like, no one would ever do that on purpose. I'm like, oh. Yes. So so first of all, assume worse. That's always the, the motto. But sometimes you get uh, surprised and, and it works. And sometimes everything that you assumed that's going to happen, mm-hmm. And and you were the alarmist, right? The paranoid, the and the one who sounded the alarm, and falls. And and it actually is true because once you get to a point in your career when you've seen enough, right? That's that's kind of what makes an expert an expert. That that fact that you've seen enough crap um, in in his uh, like experience to to know what will happen. To sense it, right? And you get it. You say, "This is what's going to happen. This is the the soft spot with the architecture, or the software, or the component, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And this is where we need to focus." And everybody says, "No, that's not, no way. That's going to happen. Like this is so vague of a vector that never going to happen." And and like that's it, right? Or somebody hid something with within the code, and he's like, "Nah." That no one's gonna find it, and the first pity that you get, that's like the first glaring result. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, like you and I were talking about 
people are rather grandiose with their plans. So you're saying, you know, we have no AppSec program, but tomorrow we're going to be finding 100% vulnerabilities, fixing them in four seconds flat, et cetera. Why do you think it is that people, like, I mean, obviously when we start a program or, or we set any goal, we want to be the absolute best, right? But right. why do you think sometimes maybe their plans are, are huge and bigger than it's possible for them to do? Um, first of all, because... An AppSec person is not inherently uh, somebody who's, uh, who's writing the code and fixing the vulnerabilities themselves. And there's a huge backlog for the development teams that eventually has to be um, remediated, right? There, there are software bugs. There are different things that have to be features, things that have to be developed. And then on top of it, you come as an AppSec person and you say, well, just add this small fix and, and eventually turns it to, first of all, well, is it just this team or is it cross teams? And then it becomes much more complex and that's just one vulnerability. How could it happen? It's just one issue. And then you find that it's like three man months to fix. Yeah, I, I have a friend that's doing AppSec and the first maybe three, four or five months of her new job, she kept reporting to bugs to everyone and no one would fix them. And so one day she's like, you know what? I was a dev like three years ago. I still know how to write code. So she just started all the ones that really scared her. She started making pull requests. She's like, I fixed this pull request. I did it. <laughs> And she's now fixed personally over 100 bugs that were just the critical things that scared the pants off her. And she's like, only twice did my pull request break stuff out of 100. And she didn't work on these projects. She didn't build that code. So to me, that's really impressive, like to not have all the context and be 98% perfect. Um, But she's absolutely insane. But as an AppSec awesome. person, if you work somewhere and no one is fixing the critical stuff, it's for me, it's stressful. I don't know. What about you? So first of all, yes. Um, and and things that I used to say to the developers, and before that, the, the one thing that AppSec and InfoSec and, and everybody's in security wants on top of all of the things that they're like one wish that they wish that would always happen. They want to sleep. At night, that's the one thing that that every AppSec, InfoSec, security person is like. They want peace of mind. That's it. it. It's personal. It's that personal. It's that drive that that chooses you. It's like a profession that chooses you on top of you being the the person um, in that position. So, a lot of the people that I used to recruit for different roles, like mm-hmm. you see the drive, not necessarily experience but you see Mm -hmm. the drive in them and that's you know that's what's going to keep them yeah they want to have it they they feel personally challenged by that and it's amazing recruiting either somebody that has a specific experience that's better than you right that's like recruiting people that are more skilled than you because they can teach you stuff Mm -hmm. you can guide them but they can teach you stuff Mm-hmm. that's like that's crazy yeah 
I wish more people in our field hired based on potential with the plan to mentor or job shadow or train them because there are so many people interested in joining our field and everyone wants to hire someone with 10 plus years experience. And I'm like, yeah. apps have hardly even existed, you know, 10, 20, like 15 years that's, ago. That's one. And the burnout rates. So, so when you get to, to a person, the amount of people that have 10 plus years of experience in our field, like mm-hmm. when somebody starts in InfoSec, somebody's the, the main goal, like the main dream is I'm going to be a CISO someday, right? And eventually somewhere down the road, you, you understand that, no, that's definitely not what I want to do in my life because <laughs> no, <laughs> just no. So, yes, uh, I agree so much. I I have um, a thing I wanted to ask you about. So we were talking about this before. So we work at Bright and Bright makes a dynamic application security testing tool. And so two months ago, we had Sharif Kusa on who made a static application security testing tool. And he was basically like letting us look behind the veil. Like, how the heck does a SaaS work? Like, what does it do to find these vulnerabilities? Can So I'm not asking you to share the secret sauce of what makes Bright different than all the other ones. I don't want us to get in trouble. But like, no, 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 how does, that's, that's does DAST work? So, so DAST basically is, it takes a concept of fuzzer, of fuzzing, things right you explain uh, sending too. different yeah so so it, it sends a lot of data into a specific so you identify a place that you need to inject code right so you have this running application that that has all those fields and and text fields and apis and whatnot right or post or methods that the application receives and what you do is you try to identify what kind of messages it tries to receive. Okay. And you guesstimate what you need to send into those things in order to, to get the application to either break or not behave properly. So that's kind of the concept of a lot of pen testing, what they do, right? What what a pen tester does is being handling uh, managed a red team. Or, so what a pen tester does is basically take in um, an application and trying to see that make it to make it behave the way that it wasn't supposed to behave and to tweak that into to something that you want to do so what DAS does is is one step before that so it, it tries to make the application behave in a different manner mm-hmm. up to a specific point without actually going the extra step and, and uh, making things like break or, or behave the way that an attacker would. So you will exploit it in a POC manner, but you'll basically uh, be able to, to see the result. An example I've seen of, um, so I was a junior pen tester for a year, a year and a half. I was not spectacular. And then I discovered AppSec and I was like, that's where I belong. And you know, sometimes I, I would use a scanner and I would say, oh, you have blind SQL in this field. And I'm like, why do you think that? What is your that? Scanner? Yeah. yeah. And and so SQL injection, you know, usually you try to make the database do stuff so that you can you can prove right. I have control over the database 
clearly you have an injection vulnerability here. Exactly. Really bad. But so that, have- exactly. So the dust was what it does is is it tries to to prove in in a specific manner. Some some scanners say, well, I got two hundred, okay, which means the request succeeded without going the extra step. Um, we differentiate ourselves into trying to be more specific in validating the way that that each uh, kind of uh, parameter behaves or, or we pop up a screenshot for specific areas. Like this is what happens, right? Kind of sort of that way. So we try to be more meticulous about our findings and our issues. I feel also like when you're doing the test, you're being really careful not to break anything. So, you know, you're saying like, we'll try to- As, as much as you can. Yeah. yeah, yeah, as, as much, much as, as you can. can. I don't know about you, Vitelli, but I have definitely used a scanner at, in the past where it got a little out of hand and I made a bit of a mess. <laughs> and like, I had the best of intentions, but it's like their admin module was open and then it was suddenly giving everyone privileges and I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> um, the thing is, because because of the way that the, you fuzz, you send a lot of payloads. You, you cannot uh, be safe enough, right? That's why we always say, and in previous organizations that I've worked for, we never tested production environments with tools that might harm the environment, as well as not having pen testing on production environments, which is like a big no-no. Don't pen test the production environment. That's like, no. I had a bank that mm-hmm. that wanted me, uh, wanted my team in one of the organizations that I worked for. They had a tender uh, for a contract that they wanted to us to prove that we can run um, a ransomware in one of their production environments. And, and I was like, nope, not gonna, no, just That's no. Bad idea. And, and bad idea. <laughs> so I was like, nope, not gonna touch that. one of the things with dast is um finding all the endpoints and then trying to understand them can you explain like what an endpoint is and why you need to understand them um i know that one of the product managers in in bright will be very furious about the the fact that i used to call them endpoints and you used to call them endpoints and he likes to call them entry points but that that's what it is. Basically, what we try to understand into uh, in Bright we call them entry points, but that's uh, it. Pretty much a similar idea. So we need to understand exactly where to send the payloads. So we need to understand when you map the application, right? You have all the pages and all the things and all the APIs and all the clickable elements and everything, and every uh, everything has a method. Right, it's a get or a post or whatever the way the application should receive the input and the the endpoint address, so whether it's a URL or whatnot, and, the, and whatever you need to send to that specific endpoint. So what we do is when we either scan the application, we crawl it, or we get a, a Swagger files or an open APF, we actually get and try to map into uh, the way that what it is, right? Is it, is it an endpoint? Is it a, something that is a static file? 
what kind of input does it receive? And we try to guesstimate the payloads that we need to send. It. So that's that's sort of the way it is. And so then if you understand where basically all the places there are in an application, all the right. ways that a, a person or a computer could talk to it, and then you send payloads and payloads are things to try to figure out if something's not quite right. Payloads are mini exploit codes uh, that, that we send to the applications that's kind of, and try to make it behave the way it's not supposed to behave and try to break it in specific manner. Yeah. That's what we do, right? The, we try to break things. That's, that's the fun part of it. Well, if you, but, if you think about it, like the word hacker used to be, it used to mean someone that plays around with things and hacks on things and sees if they could do something better with it. And then eventually, thanks to the Hollywood movie industry, hacker became specifically like some sort of male figure in the dark for some reason. And I didn't bring my hoodie, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have my Defcon hoodie. Like a, a negative connotation, but really it's like tinkering around with things and seeing like, can I make this do something it shouldn't do? And if so, is that a vulnerability? Is this going to hurt our business or our client or our customer? So, and then we so, got to do yeah, something. So a lot of the pen testers, the, the best pen testers are the best five-year-olds that you get ever going to meet, right? That's people who have the curiosity of a five-year-old and trying to like poke at things and see what it does, right? And and everything like, I want to poke at this. I want to click this. I want to try and send this, right? Oh, cool! This this behaves in a manner that I didn't expect. All right, let's see what we can do with it. So that's pretty much what it is. Being a hacker, a hacker, a pen tester today, it is basically being. Um, I wouldn't call it QA and stirs but I would call it a lot more um, curious than, than regular QA is. Yeah. A lot more fun than QA because you get to play around with things. But I feel like it, there's fewer limits um, if you're doing a, a pen test versus QA. Like QA is like, I have these 12 requirements mm -hmm. that were for the project. I need to make sure it does those 12 things. Right. Versus a malicious actor, or sorry, a pen tester. Uh, it, like, no, what can I need to do <laughs> other than those twelve things? So that's that's depend that depends on the engagement. So I uh, I used to both having the red team, managing the red team, and both being on the AppSec side, try to see uh, to get the engagement as broad as possible. And when people came and when I hired Pentesters, the, the, the first rule was like, this is your contained environment. You can break it in any manner possible, right? I'm not going to uh, limit you in any way, right? This is the whole instance of the application. Do whatever it is. You have your time. This is the scope, right? This is kind of the application things that I want to cover within that time frame because, mm -hmm. you know, Time frame is money, mm -hmm. uh, but you give them the whole tool set and you give them a leeway to do whatever they feel like because that's the expert that you hire, right? If you start limiting that, either it didn't get the results you're expecting mm -hmm. 
they didn't go um, deep enough because you will start like guiding them around specific areas. I've seen like I've seen AppSec managers start and 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 security managers and dev managers try to steer the AppSec team and the pen testing team around specific areas. Like don't 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 go there, right? This is kind of no 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 that focus on that and eventually get to the point where this is the broken part, right? You need to fix that. Uh, if you knew about that, why don't you say anything? That, that's pretty much it. But keeping honest to yourself is the best kind of approach to, to fixing things. Because if if you won't find it, the, the malicious actor will find it. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. I have one more thing I wanted to ask you about. So yeah. we were we were talking about this too yesterday, and it's operationalizing tools. How like how to get the most value? Why can this be a challenge? So I've seen this, you have seen this, company pays like a hundred thousand right. dollars for a super awesome tool, and then like only four percent of their developers have ever seen it and they haven't they've only tested ten percent of their apps. Why? Right, so, so I think the first curious uh, was that somewhere around like ten or twelve years ago, it was a project uh, in Russia, of all places, and it was a bank, and they got this huge appliances, the huge database security appliances, mm-hmm. and they were just standing there in the hallway in the boxes, and like when you get them, like half half a year ago, why are they still in boxes? We haven't got the time to install them yet. So, and, and it's like a multi-million year deal and they're just laying around there. Um, but it happens in AppSec as well. So you get SaaS tools and you're sure and certain that you, you'll be able to pull it off. But you need to make sure that you got both the CI team involved into integrating it within build if that's one of the matters that you do like SaaS, right? You want to integrate it with the CI team. You want to have the development teams onboarded. And you cannot, if, if it's a hundred, several hundred people, dev organization, getting all of them trained, onboarded. And first of all, getting all of them into one Zoom meeting or, or one room meeting is impossible. Yeah. Right. And you start getting, now get the tech leads, right? Getting, 20 or 30 taxis into one meeting is, is almost impossible. Like you start scheduling two months ahead. So you have to go uh, start small. You have to start small and team by team. You have to start with CI teams because they were the, the CI and the DevOps teams will be the ones who will be able to assist you wider than the other teams into integrating those tools. That's SaaS. Um, other security teams, SCA, right? They'll be able to say, well, these are the builds. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they'll have more knowledge than the dev teams themselves about the way that software is built. Because sometimes one team develops a component that another team com- consumes, right? They develop a module and another team consumes that module. And they have no visibility into the build process of, of mm-hmm. all of it. Um, for DAST, one of the things that I've uh, I've noticed that you get QA and uh, CI automation people involved because 
that's that's the people who actually test the applications and you want to get them engaged mm-hmm. more than the developers themselves because you want to find those things, right? You want to find those things. You want to start to open them as bugs to the other teams. Yeah, um, the QA team gets underutilized by the security team a lot. Like you have all these people with great attention to detail who are literally dedicated to testing all day. It's like, why aren't they our best friends yet? And and the secret of all of that, and the unspoken truth is that a lot of the CI teams and the QA teams are hoping to be in security someday. And they love security. They they're engaged by it, and they they're interested because it's not as mundane as regular QA, and and it's, it's a place that they can develop to, yeah. and it develops to their strengths. So it, it's one of those kind of unspoken truths that nobody is kind of championing it, and it, and it's too bad because. They could be the the team that helps you. I have I seen think, a lot yeah. of a lot of companies where um, they're they want to hire their first AppSec person, and they hire a developer or someone from their QA team because this person has this huge corporate memory, so they know most right. of the apps, they know who to ask about everything, and if they have the right attitude, like you were saying, then you can have someone mentor them or train them up. And then you have, like, basically they hit the ground completely running, right? Even if they're just learning how to start right. with a DAS scanner, like they just start with one tool. But once they know that tool, they're everywhere. They're, they're able to map the teams to the project, to the components. That's one of the things that is always left out, right? Mm-hmm. And another thing that I've noticed is that people tend to address the security issues when they're not as regular bugs. They're not open as regular bugs because a security issue is, is a bit different than, than a regular bug. It has a different scoring method. It has different impact, right? If, if I'm running a website and I have a regular bug and I have a security bug, that's two completely different animals. That's yes. like, if you find a security bug too late, if you found it, somebody found it first. Yeah, yeah. And if that, you are the second person <laughs> to find it, that's that's good. Exactly. Exactly. So, so uh, if if you find a regular bug, it's usually like, uh, yeah, let's fix it. We have like uh, a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. According to if if it works, like one button doesn't work, yeah, whatever, we'll fix it like next sprint. If if a security issue, a big security issue is found, it's too late usually. By the time it gets reported, it has been exploited, and that's kind of a soon breach. Oh yeah, then you have work to do, like clean up, investigate to see if something bad happened. If it did, what do you do from there? Yeah. Well, so... Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really thank you for having me. Um, Thank you. I was like, I figure like we have these conversations all the time at work. Why not share one of them? So thank you for saying yes. Sure. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience, like a place where um, 
like something that you you would like to ask them to do or go see or or whatever well first of all if you're qa just go <laughs> and start digging into security because it'll be fun um try to play around with uh, i'm gonna show ourselves right for for there for a second there try right scanner uh, play around with it see the cool stuff that my team actually uh, creates uh, and that the attack that we create and research and see for yourself if you like it or not yeah because there is a lot of jobs there are a lot and a lot of jobs for people that know how to run appsec tools who yes. know how to tune them and get them going and especially rolling it out at an enterprise someone that knows how to do that is a very valuable person especially right like it, and someone with qa like you said QA experience, they have attention to detail, they're very thorough, exactly. they probably do a lot of automation already as part of their job, so they're halfway there. Exactly. It, it's, it's fun. I promise. It's fun. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So thank, thank you, you to my guest, Vitaly Unik. Thank you to Bright Security for sponsoring us. I am still Tanya Janka. Um, and the We Hack Purple podcast is complete for this day. However, we have so many more podcasts coming up. So I have Caroline Wong coming up. I have Gemma Moore coming up. We have a whole bunch of episodes that I'm now planning way in advance because I'm very excited. And I hope to see all of you very soon inside the We Hack Purple community. Until next time. Bye. Bye.